Where we live here in the South, churches of Christ are fairly common. And so, and that's not, and that's not the case everywhere, not even here in our country. You can go to places in the United States where you search long and hard to find a congregation of God's people, a church of Christ meeting in various places. In, in some states, there may be just one or two congregations uh, in the entire state out west. But right here where we live, churches of Christ are fairly common. When people find out that you're a member of the Church of Christ, they are not necessarily surprised because, as I said, that's, that's a, a fairly common thing here in our part of the world and our part of this nation. But even though here churches of Christ are fairly common and often seen and members of the Church of Christ are, are fairly frequently encountered by everyone, people are still somewhat, I think, uninformed about what we believe the Bible to teach. And they are surprised sometimes when, as we try to teach and share our faith, they are surprised to find out some of the things that we understand the Bible teaches. Uh, as we show them the Scripture, as we try to specify, because we think we have a burden to do that, right? We believe very much that we are obligated to show from the Scriptures why we do what we do. Uh, give a thus saith the Lord for all of our practices. To cite book, chapter, and verse for the things that we practice. People very often say, well, I never knew that. Or that's not the way I understood it. That's not what I've been told. And so they have surprise when they find out some of the things that we teach and practice. Today we want to illustrate some of those things obviously not all of those things but we want to illustrate some of the things that the bible teaches and we therefore practice that people are surprised to find out about just some very basics and people are shocked even to discover what we understand the bible to teach and we want to just illustrate that with a few points this morning we stop here just for a moment to add words of welcome to those that were already expressed we're glad that you're here it's a beautiful lord's day in middle tennessee And it's made extra special by virtue of the fact that we have a chance to come together to worship God, to honor and glorify Him, uh, and, of course, to associate with one another in that process and to be edified and encouraged in that action. Thank you for being here to be a part of that. We appreciate you very much. And as was said, we're grateful for our visitors. We want you to know that. We want you to come back every time you have a chance. And by all means, ask any questions that you have. You might, in fact, be surprised this morning by something that you see that we're doing or teaching. And if that's the case, we, t- we invite your questions. We would love to sit down with open Bibles to, to understand uh, what God wants us to be doing. So ask any questions you might have. We're glad for the presence of each and every one this morning. Let me just illustrate some of the things that people are surprised about. And I'll start out with a very simple one. Sometimes when people learn that we don't teach or practice tithing, they're really surprised about that uh, because that's what happens in most religious organizations. They, they teach, they instruct, they actually obligate uh, people to pay a tithe. Because of that, I, sometimes you hear people say, I'm not interested in organized religion. All they're interested in is my money. They're not interested in me. They just want my money. You no doubt have heard people say that sort of thing. A number of years ago, I was in a gospel meeting in another state, and 
and the elders, a rather large congregation, and the elders of that congregation did something I'd never had done before or since. They wanted to have, a, near the end of the week, they wanted to have a sit-down interview with me to get my feedback on what I had seen in regards to that local congregation. I thought that was kind of an impressive thing for the elders to do that. And so I, I, I had several things I wanted to tell them that I thought was very commendable about the church. But there was one thing that stood out that I said, now, there, there is one thing I would change. And the one thing that I would change is that on Sunday morning, as the services began, the very first thing they did, they didn't do anything else. They didn't even make any comments, hardly. They immediately took up the collection. First thing they did out of the box on Sunday morning during the worship service. And I told them, I said, it's not unscriptural. I said, I just, but I just wonder if it doesn't give people the impression all we're interested in is your money. That's the first thing we're going to do before we do anything else. We're going to get some money out of you. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know if they ever made any change about that or not. But we don't want to give the impression that that's our interest in people is money. But, again, when people find out that we don't teach or require tithing, uh, they are surprised. Um, tithing, as you understand, was an Old Testament ordinance under the law of Moses. The children of Israel were obligated to give 10% of what they gained. If they gained uh, 100 bushels of crop, they were obligated to give 10 bushels of that crop. Uh, if it was money or anything that they gained, they were expected to give 10% of that. That's what the tithe was. Now, certainly that was taught in the Old Testament, but as we get to the New Testament, that's never instructed for God's people in the New Testament age. Living under the law of Christ, tithing is not a requirement. Instead, in familiar passages to us like 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. That's our rule. That's what we're supposed to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Search the New Testament through and you will never find an instruction for Christians to be tithing. It's not a New Testament ordinance. People are surprised when they hear us say that. Now, lest we live a misimpression, someone says, so you mean I don't have to give 10%? <laughs> no, you don't have to give 10%. I like what the old preacher said. No, you don't have to give 10%. You can give a whole lot more than that if you're able and can. And so we're not limited by 10%. But, but I don't think we should use that as an excuse to see how little we can give. We can give a whole lot more. But we don't teach tithing. People are surprised about that when they find That's just a simple illustration of the point that we're trying to make. Now, the reason why we're different is not because we have some personal like or dislike regarding giving and tithing. Did you get the idea? The reason we do what we do is because it's what the Bible teaches, right? That's why we do what we do. And it's surprising to people when we do that. Another thing that surprises people is when they find out that our preachers are not called pastors or reverend. I want to tell you, as a preacher, and I have been for many years, I very often have had to correct people who want to call me either pastor or reverend. And we don't wear those titles. Preachers don't wear those titles. It is so common, though, in the religious world. In fact, people are surprised when they find out that I, as a preacher, for instance, don't wear the title pastor and wouldn't even allow someone to call me reverend. It's hard to break the habit because there have been instances where I've told people and had to tell them multiple times, I'm not Pastor Greg. 
I'm certainly not Reverend Gwen. Please don't use those titles. They don't fit me. We understand that pastor is a title synonymous with elders. And so pastors in the New Testament were elders. They were overseers of local congregations. There was always a plurality. In every church that we read about that had elders, we read of them in the plural. Notice here in Ephesians chapter 4 that pastors and evangelists are two distinct groups. They're not the same. So he gave some apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, that would be preachers, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So we just point out that verse to show that there's a a distinction. Preachers are not pastors. Now that's not to say a preacher couldn't also serve as an elder. We believe that Peter did. He said so in 1 Peter chapter 5. But those are two separate works, and they are not identical. They are not synonymous. And that's why our pastor, our preachers don't wear the designation pastor. This, what about this reverend business? You know the word reverend is only found one place in the Bible, in the English translation of the Bible. In Psalm 111, verse 9, He, he God, sent redemption to His people. He hath commanded His covenant forever. Holy and reverend is His name The only place in the Bible where we read the word reverend and it's applied to God. I'll tell you, personally, I find it quite amazing that men ever allowed that designation to be applied to them. It belongs to God. It doesn't belong to men. And so, uh, in churches of Christ, our preachers are not pastors. Might be. There might be an occasion where a preacher is also an elder. But typically, preachers... uh, And as we said, those are two separate distinct roles for sure, preacher and pastor. We're not pastors. We don't allow men to use the expression reverend in regards to us. People surprised when we tell them you can't join this church. Years ago, and those of you who are younger won't even remember, but those who are a little older like me can remember, maybe a lot older like me, can remember that there was an advertising campaign, join the church of your choice. Join the church of your choice. There's a lot wrong with that slogan. Uh, We've talked before about the fact it shouldn't even be our choice. It should be God's choice. The church should be God's choice, not ours. We're not talking about that so much as the idea of join. Join the church of your choice. Joining the church is not a biblical concept. And people are surprised when we try to explain that to them. But we can look back to the very beginnings of the church in Acts chapter 2, when on the day of Pentecost, the gospel had been preached. And when they heard the gospel, it says they were pricked in their hearts, said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Notice, what did these people do? Well, they heard the truth. They believed it. They were moved in their heart. They asked, what should we do? They were told to repent and be baptized. They were baptized. Notice, when they did that, the Lord added them to the church Our part is to believe and obey. And when we believe and obey, including repentance and baptism for the remission of sins, 
The Lord adds us to the church. You see that? They're pretty straightforward. That's why we say, again, people are surprised, but we're just going by what the Bible says, right? And so people are surprised when we say, you can't join the church. The Lord, you do the right thing, and the Lord will add you to the church. Again, this is the Bible. That's why we state it that way. Now, we would make a, a, a little bit of a clarification. If we look in Acts chapter 9, I think many of you will recognize in Acts chapter 9, it tells the story of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. You remember that he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was struck blind. He went into Damascus. And a man named Ananias came to him. Another accounting of that story in chapter 22 explains that Ananias says, Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul was added to the Lord's church in Damascus when he was baptized and washed away his sins, right? He was added to the church, just like we were reading. When we do our part, when we believe and obey, God adds us to the church. He was added to the Lord's church in Damascus. Sometime later, he returned back to Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 9, it says, When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They were afraid of him because when he left Jerusalem, he had been a persecutor, a ringleader of the persecutors. Now he comes back and he's supposed to be a Christian. They were afraid. Barnabas stepped up and defended him and his faithful uh, service to God. But notice, Paul... Joined, made an effort. He tried to join. He was already added to the Lord's church, the universal church of all saved believers. But in this sense, the word join is used about the local congregation in Jerusalem. And so we understand that we can use that terminology. That's biblical. In fact, we think it's a, an important part of God's plan. He wants you to join yourself to a local congregation and be an active working part of a local body of Christ. And so we can use the word join in, in that context, but in regards to joining the church, we don't do that. God adds us to the church when we are obedient. People are surprised. But again, the reason they're surprised is they've, they've become used to the way men use terminology and they're not familiar with what the Bible says and how it says it. People are surprised when they find out that we observe the Lord's Supper every week. I can tell you, that really sets us apart from many others in the religious world. Most denominations practice the Lord's Supper or communion. They practice that on some varying basis. Some have it once a month. I've known of some that have it once each quarter, four times a year. Some that have it two times a year. There's some, there's some groups that only have it once per year. And so when they find out that we observe the Lord's Supper every Sunday, every first day of the week, they're shocked. And very often we get the question, why do you do that? Why would you do it every Sunday? Well, just like everything else we've been saying, the reason we do it every Sunday is because that's what we read in the Bible. They say, well, where? How? Explain yourself to us. Well, our explanation, as you well know, comes from Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It's the only verse in the New Testament that mentions the frequency of observance of the Lord's Supper. In Acts 20, verse 7, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, continued his speech till midnight. Notice it was upon the first day of the week. 
But do you also notice that it doesn't specify which first day of the week it was? It doesn't say it was the first Sunday of the month or the first Sunday after the spring solstice. It, it, it doesn't specify a Sunday. It just states this was a Sunday. And on the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. What would you conclude from that? Well, we conclude that since it doesn't specify that it was a particular Sunday, this clearly indicates that it was the regular practice of Christians to do it every time the first day of the week rolled around. I want to tell you, that is not illogic. That is, that is actually a logical analysis of this statement. And as we said, it's the only passage in the New Testament that speaks to the frequency of observance of the Lord's Supper. What would you say if you went into a restaurant... And just as you're going into the restaurant, there's a plaque. Sometimes you see these plaques in restaurants. Rotary Club meets here noon Friday. Rotary Club meets here noon Friday? What Friday? Which Friday? Oh, you don't even have to ask, do you? You know when it says Rotary Club meets here noon Friday, that that means they are there every Friday at noon for a Rotary Club meeting, right? Logic would demand that conclusion. You wouldn't reach any other conclusion. You'd be crazy to say, oh, well, I guess they only come here once a month. No, that's not what that says. I guess they only come here two times a year on a Friday. No. You would understand that that statement on the placard, Rotary Club meets here noon Friday, means every Friday they're there. Right? What is this statement from the Scriptures then? By logic, what does it demand? It demands every time that Sunday came, the Christians gather to observe the Lord's Supper. That's what we do. That's why we do it. People are surprised about that. But again, it goes back to this idea, we're just trying to do what the Bible teaches. We're just trying to do Bible things in Bible ways. Let me give you another illustration. People are often surprised when, we, when they find out that we don't use any creed books. We, have, we, we use only the Bible. We don't have any man-written creeds. The reason people are so surprised by this is that they're very familiar with denominational creed books, articles of faith, church manuals, church disciplines, because denominations have that sort of thing, don't they? And so uh, if you were asked, what, have you got a copy of the creed book of the Church of Christ? And if you held out your Bible and said, there it is, people would be surprised. But that, in fact, is what we follow. And what we follow exclusively. We don't have any other creed book. The scriptures tell us that they are complete. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. Beginning all scriptures given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word perfect there means complete. You can be complete by what God has revealed. You can be complete. And if it's a good work that you need to be doing, it's described in the pages of Scripture. You don't need anything else. Therefore, you don't need a creed book. You don't need a church manual. You don't need articles of faith. They're lined out for us in the Word of God. In fact, anything like those creed books is condemned. In the passage that Logan read for us earlier from Revelation 22, beginning verse 18, I testify to every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. 
And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Man, that's pretty plain, isn't it? Don't add to, don't take away from. It's been often pointed out that if your creed book has less than the Bible has, it doesn't have enough. If it has more than the Bible has, it has too much. You've either taken away or added to. So if it's less, it's not enough. If it's more, it's too much. If it's the same as the Bible, well, we already got the Bible, right? We don't need any human creed books, and we don't use them. And people are surprised by that. People are surprised when they find out that there's no earthly headquarters to the Lord's church. You might be asked the question by someone, where's the headquarters of your church? Where's the headquarters? What they're familiar with is uh, the Catholics have headquarters in Rome, right? Catholics have headquarters in Rome. Most other denominations have headquarters in various places. In fact, they have, they have sort of a hierarchy of headquarters, you know, maybe regional, statewide, nationwide, worldwide. Uh, they have headquarters, And people are surprised when they find out that we don't have headquarters. Local congregations such as this one are autonomous, independent, self-governing. We do not have headquarters. There's no place that is sending down orders to us and saying, you will do this. And there's no headquarters to which we are sending up reports about what we are doing. There are no headquarters. We are absolutely local, autonomous, and independent. And people are really surprised about that. Well, the reason why we do it that way, of course, again, goes back to the Scriptures. We're just doing what we read in the Bible. That's what congregations of God's people were like in the first century. When the church began, when it first began, Local congregations were thus autonomous and independent. And so that's why we're doing it that way. Here's a way to argue it. There might be lots of ways we can argue this. Again, I think the example set forth in the New Testament is very plain. But here's a way to argue it. Who's the head of the church? Well, Colossians 1.18 says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. So Jesus is the head. Well, the head is at the headquarters, right? We said the Catholics have their headquarters in Rome. That's where the Pope is. The Pope is in Rome. That's the Catholic headquarters where their head is in Rome. Our head is Jesus. And where's Jesus? Well, 1 Peter 3.21 says Jesus has gone to heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject to Him. The head is where the, he- the headquarters is where the head is. Where's our head? He's in heaven. Our headquarters is in heaven. We don't have an earthly headquarters And people are really surprised by that. But we see it. You can see that, can't you? Again, just going to the Bible. There's lots of ways to to illustrate the concept we're trying to bring out in our lesson this morning. People are surprised. Why are they surprised? They're really surprised because in everything we do, we're just mentioning a few of those kind of things here. But in everything we do, we're trying to do it in the Bible way. And yet people are so surprised familiar with and used to the perversions and changes that have come into religion through the centuries. That when they find a group such as us is just trying to do what the Bible teaches, it's a shocking thing. They are surprised. Let me give you quickly a couple of others to add to this list. People are surprised when they find out that you can be baptized at any time. 
maybe after a, a Bible study with someone and they've become convicted uh, that they need to obey the simple gospel plan of salvation. And they express surprise when they say, we can do that right now. You can be baptized right now. And the reason why they might be surprised by that is because in denominational circles, very often baptisms don't take place until there's a specially designated ceremony or service. And maybe all those who want to be baptized are saved up for several weeks. Sometimes I've heard of them being saved up for several months. They save up candidates for baptism and then they're all baptized at once. And so they're surprised when they find out that you'll be baptized anytime. A great example of this is in Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer, you remember, after some very amazing things happened in the jail, he rushed to Paul and Silas and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. We know this was sometime after midnight because the previous context says that Paul and Silas were singing at midnight and all of this happened after midnight. This would have been sometime in the wee small hours of the morning in the same hour of the night. The Philippian jailer and those of his household were baptized. That's different. It surprises a lot of people. But the reason we would say, you don't have to wait for a special ceremony to be baptized. You can be baptized any time that your heart convicts you that you need to obey the gospel of Christ. And then one more in regards to baptism. People are surprised when, they say, when we say any Christian can baptize another person. I thought only preachers could baptize people, they say. Actually, what they're exposing here, and the, and the point we want to illustrate with this, is that, that in the religious world there is this very clear opinion that there's a distinction between what they call the clergy and the laity. They are clergy, they are clergymen, and then they are lay people. And they're different. And lay people can't do what clergymen can do. Clergymen are specially empowered. Uh, they're particularly authorized to do certain things and other Christians aren't. That clergy-laity distinction is nowhere found in the pages of the New Testament. Look at it this way. You know the Great Commission. Jesus said in Matthew 28, beginning verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Notice what he told the... This is addressed to the apostles. Jesus was speaking specifically to the apostles here, right? We know this context. Go... Teach, baptize. So, this was the instruction to the apostles. Go, teach, and baptize. And then he says, after they had done that, to those that they had gone to and taught and baptized, he says, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So, you go teach, baptize, and then command the people to observe what I've told you to do. Well, then that would mean that they would tell the ones that they had converted, you also go teach and baptize, right? Go teach, baptize is a command for all of us. It's not a command unique to clergymen. This is something that all Christians ought to be doing. People are surprised by that. They're especially surprised that we don't have this clergy-laity distinction. Well, this is not a complete list, obviously. These are just intended as illustration. I hope you get our point. 
Our point is, we're saying just go back to the Bible. Just do Bible things in Bible ways. That's what we're trying to do here. That's what this is about. It's really surprising to people, but it shouldn't be. Because really, that's what everyone ought to be doing. Just do what God says the way that He said to do it. People are surprised at that approach. At that approach. I'm surprised that they're surprised, aren't you? The Bible is so plain and easy to understand about simple things like we've talked about in our lesson this morning. It's not hard to understand. We're just trying to do what the Bible teaches us to do. Well, we appreciate your attention to what we've had to say. And I hope it's helpful in explaining ourselves uh, in, in regards to some of the opinions people have in the religious world. Thanks for your good attention this morning. One of the things that sets us apart is that we try very carefully to teach the gospel plan of salvation. What must I do to be saved? The most important question that could possibly ever be asked, what must I do to be saved? We believe the Bible teaches that you must hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, and be baptized for remission of sins. That's not our plan. We didn't dream that up. That's not just something that we think is kind of neat, and, and so we apply it. No, that's what we believe the Bible teaches And therefore, that's what we teach and instruct. Would you be saved this morning? Would you follow that simple gospel plan? If you're ready to obey the gospel, we'd love to witness your obedience this morning. If you need more study, we'd be anxious to sit down and study with you. Let us know how we can help. If you're you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithful, Lord, we urge you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.